What disease was imported from Uganda and Egypt into the United States in 1999? Of course, we would rather have imported agricultural products, but the answer is, naturally enough, West Nile virus. Today, we will separate the facts from the media hype. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today, we are discussing vector-borne diseases. In this segment, we will be focusing on West Nile virus. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. With me today is Karen Yates, an epidemiologist with the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. She received her master's in biology with an emphasis in ecological field assessment from Pittsburgh State University. Welcome, Ms. Yates. Thank you. We are pleased to have you on the show. What is a microbe in West Nile virus? It's a flavivirus, and it's in the same family as uh, yellow fever, Japanese encephalitis, St. Louis encephalitis. Tell us a little bit about the life cycle of these flaviviruses, and specifically the West Nile virus. Here in Missouri, we think what happens is that the virus is able to overwinter in infected female mosquitoes, and they find lots of places that they can basically hibernate or go, go dormant over the winter months. And then when they come out in the spring and are seeking a blood meal so that they can lay eggs, they generally prefer to bite birds and infect the birds. And then the birds, on a seasonal basis, become the reservoir for subsequent infection of mosquitoes with the virus. A wayward mosquito has to make do with whatever's available and bites a human. That's how humans get infected. Right. We're, we're an accidental host, and, and humans don't get the high levels of viremia that birds do, so we don't really participate in the cycle. A mosquito biting an infected human is not likely to pick up the virus. As far as the birds go, uh, is this entirely benign for the birds, or do the birds uh, wish they'd never been bitten? It really depends on the bird species. West Nile virus really has a very terrible impact on the, the corvids, which is blue jays and crows and ravens. Usually, the time from infection to the death of the bird is, is something like four or five days. But there are quite a few other types of birds, and these are probably the birds that really factor in the transmission cycle that can remain infected over long periods of time. And and what they've shown is that they will have episodes of viremia, and then their immune system kicks in, and they recover, and then they have another bout of viremia. And so for the whole season, birds can remain active and able to infect mosquitoes. I seem to remember that uh, a few years ago there was some real concern that the crow and raven population might be wiped out by this. Yes, it's it's very, very sad, actually. Crows are, are very sophisticated animals. I know a lot of people don't like them, but they have a very sophisticated family structure, and populations really have been decimated, and ecologists that work with crows are really concerned about the learned behaviors that crows pass on from generation to generation that are being lost. So not only it actually disrupts individual crows, it it, uh, disrupts crow society. Yes, it does, yes. 
I understand what you mean about how crows aren't that popular because they're always some kind of omen of something really bad in Stephen King novels. What regions of the country is West Nile for humans on the rise, if any? Is it uh, epidemic anywhere this year? Is it dropping off? What's happening with the disease? Actually, this is just the beginning of West Nile virus season for the greater part of the country. And to answer your question about what part of the country really is seeing a lot of West Nile, that would be the Great Plains states, the upper Midwest. What's going on there is that there is a particular species of mosquito that is very efficient at when the virus infects the mosquito, the virus somehow is able to reproduce more quickly in this mosquito. And the widespread irrigation that's used in in that part of the country provides lots of habitat for this type of mosquito. So the states like North and South Dakota, Nebraska, some into Kansas, and then over into Colorado and Montana, and then even over into the Rocky Mountain states, for example, Idaho, are having very, very high case rates. I thought West Nile virus was a little bit on a decrease for the country. You know, it really does seem to be, but it adapts itself to every environment in a, in a very unique way. It's going to be a long time before any models are developed that can can really predict if we're going to have a bad year or a good year. A lot of ecologists think that West Nile virus may start to behave like St. Louis encephalitis did in the past and, and come in cycles. And so what I'm saying is that, you know, right now there's no way to predict. Numbers in Missouri and this part of the Midwest are down significantly from when it was first found here. But, you know, we're concerned that when bird populations turn over, and of course that immunity is, you know, lost, that conditions could be ripe in any given year for an explosion of the virus again. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Karen Yates in epidemiology with the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. Today we are discussing vector-borne diseases. This segment has been focusing on West Nile virus. What are the symptoms of the disease? West Nile virus is what they call a neurotropic virus, and so it does have an affinity for the nervous system, but it also has a milder form that apparently the nervous system is not involved, and and that comes on basically like a flu-like symptom in the summertime with a fever, headache, very often fatigue, definitely swollen lymph glands, Sometimes there will be a rash on the trunk of the body. And then for people where the virus does make it into the nervous system, the symptoms are just much more severe, starting out with fever and then definitely going into gastrointestinal signs, involvement of the optic nerve, possibly seizures, definitely weakness, perhaps leading to meningitis, encephalitis, and other types of neurologic infection. Have there been any deaths in Missouri in the past year or so? Oh, we have deaths from West Nile every year. 
I would say they occur in people who are generally over the age of 65. When we see them in in people who are younger than that, there's almost always some type of pre-existing condition that weakened the immune system. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Karen Yates, an epidemiology with the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. Today we are discussing vector-borne diseases. This segment has been focusing on West Nile virus. Does it cause any lasting disability for those who survive? Yes. When the nervous system is infected, West Nile has the potential to sort of develop a polio-like syndrome and permanent damage is done and some people never recover full functioning. And that's probably the most severe. On the other end, with West Nile fever, initially we thought that it would was a, a very mild disease, self-limiting, and people would recover from it like lots of other viral infections. But what we found is that people remain very tired for many weeks or even months after infection. Some people continue to experience headaches. Some people notice emotional changes. So a person doesn't have to be hospitalized to suffer you know, long-term consequences from West Nile infection. Are there any specific treatments for West Nile, or is it just generally supportive care? It's just supportive care. I know that, you know, that there are some trials being conducted into antivirals that would work best with West Nile virus, but those things are they're still under study. What about the uh, prevention efforts? Uh, is there anything you can do other than like spray the entire state with DDT or what do you do? Believe it or not, we have people who, who call for us to bring T- DDT back. But in rural areas, particularly like here in Missouri, where a good part of the population lives in rural areas, very small towns, what we emphasize is personal protection because it's not likely that People are going to want to get together and have a huge mosquito control program when they're not really sure you know, that there's a really high risk of, of disease. So we emphasize personal protection. That just means being aware that um, mosquitoes generally are outside in the morning and in the evening hours when they're not being subjected to direct sun. And those are the times when people are outside that they need to cover up or they need to be using an insect repellent that has an active ingredient such as DEET or picaridin. Is West Nile a mandatory reporting disease? Yes, it is. It is in Missouri, and it is a uh, nationally reportable disease also. I see. How many cases did you have in Missouri in the last year that it was reported? In 2006, we had 62 cases here in Missouri. And nationally, there were over 4,200 cases. So, and practically every state except, I think, of course, Alaska, Hawaii, and I still believe perhaps Washington State, every state is reporting disease every year. So between ticks and mosquitoes, you really have to watch your summer habits. It's really a shame because we are concerned that people will use a fear 
of, you know, mosquitoes and ticks as an excuse to stay inside, and, and that is not a good public health message. So that's why we encourage the use of personal protection. We want people to go out in the evening and get their exercise, walk around their neighborhood and so on. But just to remember that, especially late July, August, September, those are the peak season for West Nile virus transmission. And, and this is the time of year that you really need to be aware that you know, risk is elevated now. I want to thank Karen Yates, an epidemiologist with the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services, who has been our guest. We have been discussing vector-borne diseases. In this segment, we focused on West Nile virus. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.